coming to get you, Barbara. The Fear Central Radio Show. Warning, our content may include spoilers and is intended for mature audiences. Hey, fellow horror fans, welcome to the Fear Central Radio Show. I am your host, Mike, and uh, this week I've got joining me... Heather. Chris. Katie. Paul. And Joe. And Joe, you haven't been with us for a while. It's been a while since you've joined our illustrious cast. Oh, Joe, welcome back. Yes. Very, very... Not like, not that we haven't invited you many, many We've times. We've invited you to get bummed <laughs> out today. Yes. Of all the shows you could have joined, this was a great this, one. This is it. It's got all the great subject matter. Yeah. So last week we finished up with International and National Cults. Yes, we did. And now this week we are moving into... Scary Texas Cults. Scary Texas Cults. Yes. The locals in the backyard. Yes. Yep. Yep. I have no locals in my backyard. You have no locals? No. No local yokels? No. Okay. There is literally a house in your backyard. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but that's not not a local. That's like family, so it's a little different. Hey, let's call back. Whose house is that? I don't know. Somebody. (laughs) Yeah, so So. uh, So. we're moving closer. We're moving closer to home with this and... uh, for anybody listening out of state, we swear not all Texan people are like this. No. Right. We swear. Disclaimer. Very, very big country, uh, state, so. The, the, there is, country, there, there state. is a state that does claim all the crazy, and uh, that's Florida. Oh, so, yeah. yeah. We all know that, so. Yeah. Well, Chicago uh, likes to have a lot of the serial killers, so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That There's they like what, like three or four serial, serial killer museums in Chicago. Right. Yeah. Yes, there are. Well, they yep. like having Al Capone out there. Yeah. 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 Mob. H. H. Holmes. Yeah. Okay, but we're not talking about serial killers. But oh, we're no, not, no. Yeah, okay. we're talking okay. about. Uh, we are Which, talking about seri- uh, well. Serial cultures. Cults. <laughs> serial cultures here. Serial cultures. No. Um, we are talking about cults, and we are talking first about the Branch Davidian. Now, most people in the world know about the Branch Davidian. Um, Mm -hmm. Actually, eventually wanted to be called the Koreshians because they were not technically part of the Branch Davidian branch of the Seventh-day Adventists. But that's who they were lumped in with because that's who they were once a part of. About how long did the Branch Davidian branch exist before David Koresh came um, They existed for quite a while. They, yeah. they were technically part of them up until Lois Rodden, Roden's death in like, I think she died in 87? 86 or 87? Somewhere there. And, uh, yeah, 86 because he takes back over. George Roden took back over in 86 and he came back in 87 and they kicked him out then. So, because as soon as Koresh took back over, made his crazy declarations, they were out. So, that's where it all came to ends. But before we get into the how everything went for them, um, we'll talk a little bit about where the Branch Davidian came from. And the Branch Davidian, like we said it before, was a split from the Davidian Seventh-day Adventist Church. They were led by Victor Hotef. Um, 
for he lived from 1885 to 1995. He initially called for reform within the church. He believed there was a lot of corruption, and we needed to return to uh, to preparing oneself for the prophecies. That's what he really believed in. So, uh, so that's what he he really pushed for. Um, after he was shunned in 1935, he brought his followers and settled them in Waco to prepare for the imminent return of Christ. Waco, front line of any any Christ return. Absolutely. Yeah, that's the best place. He really did believe that that, that was the best place to, to, to go to. So, Forget about Jerusalem. It's not the best place to go if you want to go shopping. No. <laughs> if you've ever tried, it's really hard. It so. is really hard. <laughs> or, live there, or live from what I've heard from people who have lived there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I have lots of horror stories. <laughs> but uh, I haven't lived there, but I know people who have. Um, so when Hutef died, his wife took over, and she set a date for the dawn of the new Messianic age as April 22nd, 1959 lots of people amassed for the for the event it was going to be a big deal lots of people showed up and then it didn't happen and so the entire group splintered into lots of different groups maybe they just weren't looking for the right thing right one of those groups was pushed by ben roden who actually got took control of the mount carmel settlement which is where uh hutef had set up his, his place so he took control there and created the general association of davidian seventh-day adventists which is essentially he was trying to tie back together all those davidians who had branched off after after uh the prophecy fell through so ben really really was trying to pull everything together um he promised that if members led a purer life and reached moral maturity that christ would return soon so Ben was preparing them for this, and but he died in 1978, which led to a power struggle between his wife Lois and his son George, which split the group down the middle. Lois was a little more weak, but Lois soon found an ally in one Vernon Hell, which we will all know as David Koresh. David Koresh came in, and a uh, little of Koresh before we move on. He was born in April of 1959 to a 14-year-old single mother. He never met his father, and his mother gave him to his parents. No, wait a minute. He was born in April 1959? Yes. When was the the big event supposed to be? April 59. Right? That's one thing that that, uh, Koresh was very good at, was weaving things together, especially with scripture, to make things seem a bigger deal than they were. Um, he was a master at that. Uh, he could talk for hours doing that because he had the entire Bible me- memorized by the time he was 12 years old. So, uh, yeah, so he was raised by his grandparents. And in 1964, his mother remarried and came and picked up her son and moved him to Texas. So at five years old, he, lo- he moved from the only stability he had ever known with a woman he had never had contact with. Uh, who was now suddenly his mother to a place he had never been with a man he had never met. So off he goes. So he's now pushed into school for the first time and he struggled very badly. He had multiple learning disabilities and so they put him in the special education classes and they were merciless. They bullied him. 
horribly and at one point he was even raped by multiple students um yes and when reported the teachers said he should have fought back happy, not all happy texans are like this yeah <laughs> what'd you say Heather? S- some some good time happy time stuff right right it was horrible yeah. like yeah. Uh, <laughs> i the thing we talk about how bad bullying is now but this is extensive in a way that is almost unfathomable that multiple boys would gang up on a young man and rape him just because he wasn't learning at the same pace they were. Didn't this happen recently with some swim help. team boys in a in a locker room or something? Was it with I have no idea. I, I had not heard about that. Yeah, I'll have to look. Some team a team mm. raped a special needs student. Gotcha. Oh my lord. I, I don't put it past humanity. I, I really wouldn't. Yeah. But it just, it just seems like a very, it's an awful act. Mm-hmm. And because of that, it pushed Howell so low. It just broke him emotionally. And he needed something to grab onto. Something to make himself better. And all he wanted to be was better than other people. So that's what his goal became, was to be better. So he... Had an incredible memory, and like I said, he invi- he memorized the entire New Testament by the time he was twelve. He also could uh, pick out any phrase or word and dis- discuss the esoteric meaning for hours. He had it all in his head. He just talk about anything, any implication of any word in any part of the Bible. Just talk for hours and that's how a lot of his his studies went they would last for six or seven hours at a time so and his his teacher his students couldn't get enough of it like they they were just astounded by what he was capable of processing they were buying what he was selling so if he left sunday morning service you ain't getting home in time for the super bowl no no they lived there so there was no super bowl so they they didn't do they didn't do a lot of outside media. They were allowed, like, they were allowed to educate their children, which is a lot more than what we'll say about our next group. But uh, they didn't. They didn't allow like TV and stuff within the compound. Mm-hmm. So, um, so he had a lot of credibility and believability um, that made that allowed him to take over the branch of the of the branch. Of, his branch of the branch Davidians, which was Lois's branch, um, eventually. Um, when he was in high school, he found a niche in sports, and this doesn't sound super important, but this is where, this is where at the time Vernon Howell became the charismatic person that he would be later. He became this person. He found that he was good at sports. And being good at sports made him popular. And girls wanted him. And then he realized that he was addicted to sex. And that's what he wanted. And so he found out how he could manipulate women. to And get the women he wanted. And use that that uh, image he created by being this fantastic athlete to create this god complex that women would just throw themselves at him um at that point in time he had a lot like, of frat boys have a similar journey of discovery yes they do yes, yes they, they do, do. <laughs> <laughs> um he dropped out of school in ninth grade but at that time at about that time he had like 20 different girlfriends and uh one of his girlfriends uh 
what one of his girlfriends actually ended up getting pregnant um but he never met the child um so so about this time is when his concept of faith started bouncing back and forth like uh an idea of he believed that he had a special and unique relationship with God and then also that he was a worthless son of a bitch scum that was so evil he was amazed God didn't strike him dead on the spot those are the actual words he used he he was he was at one mo- for one moment he knew completely why God wanted him. He was special and chosen and wonderful. And then the next minute he was scum and he was nasty and he was unworthy. And it always changed for him from one moment to the next. And it was never in the medium. It was always one or the other. Pre and so, post orgasm. <laughs> yes, which is pretty much how he spent most of his life. But <laughs> yeah, I was just gonna go with the uh, you know right. mild bipolarness there. But so the next little spot we really do have to talk about uh, about uh, Howell is his addiction to sex. Um, sex. Sex. He talked about it constant. That was a very. Uh, interesting uh this podcast is gonna go on forever if we keep pronouncing the x out that long <laughs> right <laughs> that was very that was very uh southern badgers right there with the sex right <laughs> <laughs> so uh he talks about it constantly and re- in really inappropriate situations kind of like bearing his soul to anyone who would get near him almost and it got him in some really strange encounters and didn't do him any favors with the outside world. Because at the time, he wasn't quite in with the Rodden group yet. He's still in the outside. And uh, so he, uh, uh, before, before he came to Davidians, he actually was going to an Orthodox Adventist church. And he decided to. He decided that God had told him that he was supposed to be with the fourteen-year-old daughter of the of the pastor of that church, and that that is who he was supposed to be with. It was destiny, and so he started. He, he started stalking the girl, and showing up all the time and proclaiming it in front of everybody. And so the the father told him to leave. Told him to leave. So then he had to go to the the dais or whatever their hierarchy is and the hierarchy told him to leave and finally had to excommunicate him and it just got bad how old was he at this point uh 20 about 20 okay just 20 (laughs) just 20 just 20 right yeah so yeah so (sighs) it's really it's just yeah so it he's really and that it was really because he believed that he had a claim to any woman he wanted and that was part of his god complex these were objects to be held it's not doing any favor if he's constantly talking about his sex addiction right right well that's the thing is like him talking about his sex addiction was not just like i have this affliction and this is a problem it was a he's talking about his affliction but he's having trouble satiating it and how he's going to get the things to satiate it. So he's talking about women as if they're artifacts to be gotten to satiate those needs. So it's very demeaning. Methadone. Which is why 
<laughs> sort of, like sort of, yeah. Saying. I mean, and it, it, that's how it kind of develops later. It gets, it's, it gets awful later, which we'll talk about. Um, it's so sunny so far. Right. <laughs> so he was thrown out in 1981, and almost immediately he found Lois Rodden. So this is after Ben Rodden had died, and Lois is kind of struggling for. Uh, like he had to walk uh, out of the building and tripped on her. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I guess this there like, you are. Sorry, this has been. <laughs> Yeah, this is after Ben has died. Lois is kind of struggling for uh, power. And uh, so he meets her. And she did the sort of They hit it off pretty quick. And the Branch Davidians. Um, so Lois herself claimed to have the gift. Uh, uh, well, okay. So Help claimed to have the gift of prophecy. And he said that he had to have an affair with with lois that god had told him that he that god had chosen him to father a child with lois who would produce the chosen one the chosen one right god's like you keep saying that i'm not talking about sex right go, of course go, okay. go build take note for take note that lois right? rodden is in her 60s no yes he's in her he is in his Early, he, he is in her later. Okay, we'll yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's it. In her later, they gotta have dinner first, right? Um, so yeah, um, yeah. So Ben Rodden, Roden. I keep saying Rodden because my former last name is Rodden. Don't say that. I'm Don't sorry. tell them that. Oh, they won't find it. No, no, no. Uh, okay, oh. so uh, their last name is Roden. Uh, so the Rodens are uh, they're increasingly letting Koresh start to teach because Lois is telling them that he's been touched by God. And, and uh, her. I'm pretty sure she's been touched by him. <laughs> <laughs> Quick disclaimer. This is... Grandma, um, you don't have to keep telling us right. that. Nervous laughter. It's to keep us from crying. Right. Yeah. So it's it's yeah. not... We don't find this kind of content well, We haven't funny. gone to the horrific stuff yet. No. Exactly. We're at the light era so far. Um, so that started in 1983, which really worsen, worsened the divide. Um, divide between uh, the son and between George and then Lois and Koresh. And uh, so he hadn't quite called himself Koresh yet. We'll get to that in a minute. But uh, at this point, he is still Vernon Howell. Um, so Koresh claimed to have a vision where God told him to marry a congregant named Rachel Jones and began to claim spiritual wives from the congregation. So, this is a big step out of line now. Like, people are getting really upset. So, because... Oh, they weren't upset before? I mean, come oh, on. Well, like, I mean, was, but, but, okay, okay. Now, was Rachel her. Jones also 14 or and or married? No, she was uh, unmarried, but she was just one of the congregants. She was unmarried and of age. But, so, but the thing with about taking spiritual wives is multiple that wives. this guy can go around and say, hey... I think she's pretty. I'm going to take her for my wife. And there's right. nothing nobody can do. Right. I know I'm jumping point. ahead, but does he ever meet anybody his own age? Uh, no. Not really. <laughs> Never. Um, oh. Most predators don't so, go for people their age. They go for either younger or older. Older, yeah. 
So in 86, Lois dies. And so that's when the split in the tree trunk just broke all the way open. And uh, uh, Another branch, if you will. Branch. Right. Can can we just light that shit on fire and roast some marshmallows at this point? Right. So uh, Howell took his his disciples and they went away. And uh, they actually ran away to Israel. George Rodden took hold of Mount Carmel and kept things running there. But... Uh, so he went to Israel. Yeah, that's what that, that's what the encampment's called. Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel, because that's that's what the biblical mount is called in yeah, Israel. That's what so, the strippers are called too, Carmel. <laughs> so uh, that's cinnamon. Oh, sorry. <laughs> not, not diamond. And when you put them together, they're twists. So what? while they're in the twist, the twist comes later. <laughs> Twix, are you left or right? Twix. <laughs> Didn't expect the stripper asides. <laughs> <laughs> so while Koresh or Howell is in exile, they he and his followers visit Israel, where they realize where Koresh, who he now begins to call himself Koresh, for this reason, believes that he is the modern day Cyrus, which is a Persian king who is the only other person in the Bible to be given the title Messiah aside from Jesus. So yeah, so uh, basically his whole role is to create and reassemble the tribes of Israel. Was he also a sex addict in the Bible? I don't know. Okay. They don't get specific about that. Hey, hey, oh. hey fingers. New Testament, not Old Testament. <laughs> yeah, it's Old Testament. Um, oh, okay. it, it's like itty bitty section. Okay. And uh, hang on, fingers is finding it for us. Keep going, I'll, I'll get there. Um, so, uh, <laughs> what are you googling? Yes. Koresh sex addict I know. Bible? She's looking at something so, in the Bible. <laughs> at the beginning, he thought he was going to establish the Davidic kingdom of Israel in Israel. Um, but, and he also believed that he would uh, be martyred, uh, at least until 1990, that he would be martyred in Israel. Um, but then he decided in 91 that he would be martyred in the United States and the Davidic pro- prophecies would take place back in Texas. Yeah, we can't go oh, to Israel. Well, we have know. to go to Waco. Yeah, Waco. Right. Waco is the place to be martyred these so days. So this is where he decides he's going back to Waco yeah. and he's taking it back. It's just right around the corner. Israel, going Waco. Yeah, so going back to I'm going back to Waco, Waco where I am going to be martyred. Yes. Yeah, eventually. He's going to take back Mount Carmel first. Yes. So From Texas. And Texas. No, from George Roden. George Rodin But he, he's moving to Texas and he's going to take back Mount Carmel after he moves back to Texas. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Rodin is now mounted. Koresh is trying to take his mount. <laughs> okay. Okay. So Koresh doesn't just like come in and like start a shoving match. He comes in with fully automatic weaponry and uh, shotguns and they are Main armed to noon. the teeth. And they send George running. And George has a mental breakdown at one point, and he's eventually put in prison, or uh, in a mental asylum where he stays for the rest of his life after this. Poor guy. At which point, Koresh does take complete control of the Mount Carmel community. He immediately instituted a policy that allowed him to take as many spiritual wives from the unmarried women of the group as he wanted. As many as he wanted. This included young girls. So, so he had previously set a cap whenever he came up with that earlier? He, he had just done one thus far. 
Okay. He, he just, just said one. He just he was told for that one. Now he was told as many as he wanted. Okay, so that is what we have up to this point. Before we get to like Doing where we start job, going slugger. down hill, just saying. Before we start like you know clicking downhill, we're gonna talk about the main beliefs. So take a real quick pause. So in '83, Howell claimed he had the gift of prophecy and he was supposed to father a child with Lois Rodden, which changed in '86 when Lois died. Koresh claimed he was the modern day Cyrus and he was supposed to restore the Davidic kingdoms in Israel. Koresh believed an impending apocalyptic scenario in which he would be martyred, putting himself into the narrative of revelations. In 1989, he believed he instituted the idea of the creation of a new lineage of children fathered by him that would one day rule the world. That is why he was taking multiple wives and impregnating them as much as possible, meaning there was no birth control and creating as many people as possible so that they could rule the world. That's where they were coming from. So basically, he was a baby daddy to a whole bunch of stupid Oh, yes. Women. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So uh, we'll actually talk about what's really sad about that in a minute. So uh, Koresh believed, also believed that he was the lamb mentioned in Re- Revelation 5. Now, we also talked about that last week in Om Shinrikyo when they, he believed that he took on the sin of uh, when, by touching his follower and that uh, it relieved the sin of that person, right? So he actually says that The Lamb is distinguished from Jesus as the one to loose the seven seals and to interpret the scroll mentioned in Revelation 5 too, bringing the end of the revelation of Christ. So ending the entire apocalypse. So he would be at the end and end it all. But he would also begin it. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So he is the beginning and the end. So. And where was Sam and Dean in all this? Right? (laughs) I'm wondering. All right. I didn't see that season. So yeah, that, I didn't see that season either. That's what he believes at this point. That that is what he believes. He still has the, this idea that he will eventually be martyred, which is why he believes uh, that. We'll talk about that in a second. Okay. She's getting. So ahead we're taking a couple parts. We're starting 1992 whenever they started taking charges, and then we're gonna go into the events of everything that happened. So in 1992, they. Uh, you scroll correctly okay no <laughs> in 1992 child abuse <laughs> charges and legal issues uh kind of sprung up with a retail gun business um several of koresh's spiritual wives were teenagers even as young as 12 and 13 years old gross and some of them had had children gross uh community members were accused of child abuse and by former member by a former member and an anti-cult activist these people were bringing charges against koresh himself himself and the institution of the british davidians that is a very sick sick man it is it is it's and they could prove it so it's worse like how large is the compound they were living on they are living uh there there are aerial photographies of it it's it's pretty decent size it's pretty big um and at the time, at that point, they had just over 100 people living there. Um, then they let a few go at the beginning. And then nine, uh, 72? 72 total died. It might be 76. Okay. My numbers are off sometimes. But it's close around there. Um, so, yeah. So they're whole, they are pushing charges. So they're also accused, accused of stockpiling illegal weapons they're notified by the ATF uh, they 
the ATF was notified in May of 1992. So the ATF set up a, set up really, really stupid surveillance. They they bought a house across from the compound, and uh, and they set it up with college kids who were all 30 and older, and didn't keep schedules that anywhere resembled actual job hours or class hours. <laughs> and uh, they had no, they drove brand new cars. They ate nice food. Like they ordered out all the time. Nice food. So there's no way these are college kids. And it was just uh, very, very obvious that these were not college kids. So have they you knew. not been to Baylor? What? <laughs> they well, have some nice cars and some nice food me there. Me and my friend well, yeah, Chad, bro, like, are on the lacrosse team a, here in Waco. This is a yeah. to crap house, like out, way out, which is like, it. the the rent is going to be low as hell. Like, it's going to be tiny. It'd be like renting a, it'd be like renting in Ranger. Like, yeah. that. that's the kind of rent it's going to be so yeah it was just a shack in the middle of nowhere mm-hmm. yeah it just it's going to be nothing so uh after that the atf at- obtained a search warrant search warrant and uh on suspicion that the davidians were modifying guns to have illegal automatic fire capability and arrest warrants for koresh and other specific followers for weapons charges um the search warrant actually said that it had to be executed on or before February 28th, 1993. So, this is still 1992 when this comes down. Um, and so, they haven't gathered really any evidence at this point. All they have to go on is the uh, testimony of a former member. All they got. So, it's kind of flimsy at best. Well, they say he also would preach that government officials were basically satan and completely against him so when these agencies do show up i mean it's just they're after us yeah absolutely that he completely believed that they were out they were an agent of the apocalypse they were going to facilitate it happening um and would target christians and and those who were good so the siege actually begins um with kind of under really weird circumstances so the atf actually makes a claim this so i'm kind of stating the really the circumstances that make me a little angry whenever we're talking about this the atf makes uh you makes want to claim. cite your sources before we get into this <laughs> what you want to cite your sources before we get into this i don't have them written down okay but i just mean like where you pulled most of them okay um, like news sources books. they're news sources yes okay. um, most of them from the uh the herald tribune in waco mm-hmm. and uh then there's another that's a uh it's a f- uh, I can't remember. it's a specific book talking about it, it's a strictly a fact-based <sighs> book timeline based about what's happening with the siege into the raid so that's that's what that is was that the one uh Written by the agent in the shack, because I know. Th- yes, that's the one. That's, that's the what, one. That's what the show was about. Yes. Yes. Okay. So uh, the ATF ATF made a claim, even though they kind of had a suspicion. They don't want it. They said that it was probably true, but they couldn't actually like verify it. But it was probably true, so they were going to run with it. They made a claim that Koresh was running a meth lab. 
uh, because there was a warm spot and someone told them that, uh, <laughs> yeah, there was a warm spot and someone told them that uh, there was a meth lab in the center of the compound. Like through infrared visors? Yes. Or, okay. From a, uh, a flyover using infrared. Okay. So, yeah. So they did that. They did that so they could pull in the DEA and get war ass- war assets from the DOD from on the grounds of the war on drugs. So already they're armed to the teeth, and they don't have the training to run it because no one would train them. The other and they're part, still set up as college students across the street. The, the well, that other, was before, yeah. Well, the other part of this is where this compound is butts up close to Fort Hood, mm-hmm. which is an army base. Mm-hmm. And they've got tanks and co- helicopters and planes. So it wasn't like it took them long to get this stuff there. Right. I mean, it well, was... when they con- contacted Fort Hood to ask for the assistance to uh, get trained to use the stuff they were going to use, they gave them the time and space to train for communications and, uh, uh, and uh, minor tactical. All they gave them. So they weren't they weren't given the ability to use the technical stuff they were given they they had gotten from these agencies. So anyway, so they had made it this big complicated thing that it really didn't need to be. And uh, so it was originally called Operation Showtime, and it was actually scheduled for February twenty eighth, or it was originally scheduled for March first, but they realized it was after the date, so they moved it to uh, February twenty eighth. The Davidians were actually tipped off on the morning of the raid when uh, a reporter asked a postal service mail carrier for directions to Mount Carmel, who happened to be Koresh's brother-in-law. So (laughs) people were getting in position to get a good view, and they knew. pretty good if he's got multiple wives. Right. (laughs) So they had infiltrated an ATF agent into the... uh, into the uh, compound and whenever they found out this was going on they said look dude we know who you are um you've been here to hear to hear everything you can stay if you want you can go if you want no hard feelings no shots you're fine and so they let him go and when asked what they were doing whenever he left they said he said they were praying what they were doing praying and they initially were trying to do it all by surprise by showing up in like dooleys with horse, tra- horse trailers right as opposed to big atf vehicles right. and, and whatever right in order but they knew to, what was happening yeah. they knew it was going to happen so okay so so that's where we're, we're at at the moment so they ordered it to go ahead and said even though the cover had been blown now each once everything's in place each side claims that the other side shot the other side shot first yep we have no clue, no idea who shot first, and we, we never did. will, never will. Um, and it really doesn't matter who shot it first at this point. Um, what we do know is that in the very first shots, correct, Koresh took a gut shot in the left side in the first few shots, and he came back immediately to be tended to. Um, the the Davidians began to call for ceasefire by eleven thirty. Uh, and the ATF kept shooting, forcing the Davidians to take up arms again. So they pushed them through a ceasefire to keep them shooting. I think what needs to be said is we are not sympathetic to this cult, 
It may no. sound like it, but we're just reading. We're, we're stating facts. We're that stating is known. facts because so. we're we're looking at we're looking at a, a group the, who is very dedicated to a cause that none of us believe in, and we believe that they were very negligent with people's lives no. and with their beliefs. And, and I mean, the name of the name of the podcast is Fear Central. When you're talking about cults in general, there's a whole lot of different types of fear that come into this. A lot of it is the ability to be swayed into right. such a into such a devout belief that you're willing to give up your life for this cause, right. even the like even though it remains kind of a mystery to people around. Yeah. yeah. So there's, there's uh, like this is a very complicated series of events. Absolutely. That involves a lot of maneuvers on both sides. Right. Yeah. And of course, if you watch certain documentaries. Um, the ATF or, or DOD or whoever will say we never fired once uh, the entire That's time false. because Koresh preached that we were all, you know, the cause of the apocalypse. They never stopped firing at us and then we weren't shooting at them. And it, 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 it really boils down to a he said, she said, mm-hmm. and nobody will ever know the truth for sure. It doesn't matter. Both were shooting. Like it. <laughs> Lives were lost. All yes. Both sides were ticked. They're shooting, and people were persistent, persistent, persistent when they shouldn't have been. Probably, um, the Branch Davidians were very angry whenever their leader took bullets. So they could have also pushed through a ceasefire that we're not yeah. hearing about. Right. So there's there's a lot of things going down here. Um, so in the end, ATF retreated and took uh, four dead and many wounded, um, and uh, the Branch Davidian took five dead. 51 days later, uh, they had endured a lot of torture at the hands of the ATF and the FBI. Um, This is a lot of fun to talk about. So they used uh, a lot of sleep deprivation techniques in order to drive the crazies insane. I don't know how that works. Um, because if you, you're already working on crazy, right? Mm-hmm. To push them over the edge so well, that they like, give up. If you're already in an intolerable crazy, what's on this other side? <laughs> like, yeah. And it also stands to reason that if they, they feel like they're that kind of crazy, if they push them over the edge, maybe they'll attack and we have cause. I mean, yeah. All it, all it takes is just thinking about the last time you were fatigued and how on edge you got. Right. Yeah. Put your put an automatic weapon in your hand and this morning no coffee, (laughs) (laughs) right? So um, they used a lot of that, including the recordings of jet planes. Uh, Sir Mix a Lot on repeat, TLC on repeat, Eric Clapton on repeat, Billy Ray Cyrus on repeat. That right there, yeah, that would be the one. I gotta go Clapton. (laughs) This is '90s Clapton. Come Uh, on, Vanessa Williams (laughs) on repeat. Chanting on repeat. What I saved the best for last. Didn't know. (laughs) And the and the screams of rabbits being slaughtered on repeat. Was it that or was it Cher? (laughs) (laughs) It could have been either one. They're interchangeable. What I love love is you mentioning Cher is like this was a South Park episode. Like South Park used this as a gag in one of their episodes. Real because they had they had a standoff and they were playing Cher's Believe. Yeah, like they weaponized it. <laughs> well, this is also in the '80s. They they tried to do this with uh, Cuba, didn't they? They played a lot of music straight at them. To oh, especially with Guantanamo Bay. Yeah. yeah, yeah, a lot of that. Yeah, sleep deprivation music. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, so, we, so we yeah we we did start looking up like what albums that were out at this particular time because like TLC I'm like is it Waterfalls and they're like nope it's Baby Baby Baby. 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 <laughs> um, <laughs> so um, additional to that they also really tried to work on their their emotional um, you know who they were um, they took a har- heavily armored uh, vehicle and they ran over their uh, graveyard which held uh, the grave of a very well loved Davidian who had recently died and they were devastated and really all they were trying to do is get even just a few of them to come out so that they could nab them and take them away just just, just that little bit doing that kind of damage just grab a couple out and they uh would throw tear gas current grenades into the compound and eventually they cut off all power and electricity and they were subsisting only on rainwater and MREs. Hmm. So, um, so it's at a pretty brutal point. So, um, April 19th finally runs around and, uh, attorney general Janet Reno and, uh, to allowed the F, FBI hostage negotiate uh, wow hostage rescue team um, to take control of the operation and they use CEVs and their explosives to blow holes in the walls and pump tear gas into the into the compound. Officially, there was supposed to be no firing. At around 12 p.m., three fires started in start started in three different parts of the compound simultaneously. The government claims that they did not start the fires, but they are very like, but it's very likely that they may have. It could have been how the tear gas canisters were fired. Um, they used, they could have used older tear gas canisters, which can explode. There's lots of things that could have happened, and they refuse to admit that anything might have happened um, because these did start in the compound. So uh, it, it's interesting that they're that they kind of refuse to admit any fault or possibility of fault um uh so they also they also don't take any options like at that point now the fire's starting to close in right they're starting to realize what's happening and they're starting to choke because when the tear gas the sc gas uh, cs gas starts to catch on fire it emits cyanide yep so people die. There were a couple children that were found with cyanide in their system, and they died. Um, at least that. At least a couple. They, yeah. So they can't be for sure. They think that's probably why they pulled them down into the basement. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if that's why they did it, then that's why they died of smoke inhalation and uh, heat and being crushed by rubble. So that means that they were also probably radicalized at that point, thinking that they're they were going to die anyways. This was the end. That was it. You know, this was the end of time. So they were going to go out. So I, I I have a hard time not laying a little bit of blame on the people who allowed for the uh, allowed for the psychological torture to happen to make the people who are on the edge get farther off the edge and you know have more issues yeah. so 
it could have far made it easier or worse. So, uh, so that's that's. Um, so next, the fire spread really quickly. Fire trucks trucks were dispatched, but weren't allowed in until after the compound exploded and the roof came to, caved in. Seventy-six Davidians died in the final assault and were buried on the grounds. Nine survived. Thirty-five left during the siege. Twenty Davidian, Davidians shot were shot inside the compound before being touched by flame or smoke. Uh, including five children. One boy was stabbed. Uh, some women and children died, many women and children died of skull injuries, meaning they were battered over the head. And uh, several seemed to have died of spasmic deaths from cyanide poisoning. Um, but they can't be completely confirmed. Um, they really believe that these were all mercy killings yeah. by the group. So... So really what Shakrib is out about these people is the radicalization of people whenever they believe their their beliefs to an extreme and when our government can't understand people that get to an extreme and they act in a way that doesn't try to understand. It's it's not even just about it's not even just about government. It's the whole mentality that to you know the whole the or you know that whole saying about uh, to fight monster you to fight a monster you have to become a monster right, right. and like to a certain extent you it could have been handed it could have been handled with some diplomacy oh, it could a have lot. yeah mm-hmm. I remember when this took place yeah there, there was, they said there was a lot of diplomacy. But they cut their communication lines out, so they didn't get to talk to anybody else except yeah. the FBI negotiators. Right. There been a lot of stress taken off. They'd been allowed to talk to other people. We, oh, yeah. We lived about an hour from there whenever this was going on. I was 12, 13. Mm-hmm. And that is what we watched on TV was how it unfolded because it was yeah. so close. It was scary because of how close we were to it. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't think about cults being in your own backyard you think about them being other places with other people and it's kind of a scary thought to think that people that you know you could know are part of that you know what i mean yeah. when uh, during our during uh, our my family's camping days we would we would uh we had a couple places we would go around the state and at one of the places was a family from waco and uh their son had been involved and was was on the compound during all this i honestly can't even remember his name to this point so i couldn't tell you exactly what happened all i remember is that hearing that his story was part of the made for tv movie that came out Mm -hmm. and being horrified by the way that made for tv movie ended because it followed a teenage boy all the way to him uh, pulling the trigger on himself. I do remember that movie. Yeah. That's what we watched at school as well. It was a very... Had Bud from Salute Your Shorts as the yes, lead character. Did. Yes, it did. I think I saw that too. It was a TV made, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. um, one thing that it went into that we didn't really touch on was him being a musician leading up to... I actually have a fun little story about that. I wasn't going to include it because I thought we were going to run out of time. But um, so my high school uh, debate teacher was is married to a woman 
whose dad was a DJ at a rock station in town, classic rock station. And uh, he would go to events all the time. And David Koresh would pop up all the time trying to hand him tapes of him, of a record of him doing something with his band all the time. And uh, he'd take them, you know, politely take them and, you know, send him on his way. But this guy stalked him. He was there at every function he was at. Like, it was crazy. He showed up at the office. It was ridiculous. But, yeah. Which can show leading to his character to how he Absolutely. eventually became. It is, it is interesting how many of these charismatic cult leaders you know wanted to be musicians at one point so i'm gonna i'm gonna make a, a little because like because manson wanted to be a musician first too well yeah. think about like <laughs> being a a musician and what it entails to cultivate a fan following mm-hmm. you are a cult leader pretty much like, yeah like it's it's the socially acceptable version mm-hmm. but you're a cult leader yeah yeah to an extent but uh, yeah, this one took a little longer than expected. So yeah, this I'm is sorry. where we're going with this one this week. Um, we'll finish off with the this one is the Children of God or the Family International, yeah. which is terrifying. It yeah. is. So we'll finish off with the last two or three mm-hmm. next week. Okay. Um, very solemn show this week. So. Yeah. Uh, <coughs> In, I mean, in general, you know, we, we you know we'll talk about horror movies and horror stories and everything, and it's you know it's it's all fun, and good. In this, we're talking about actual lives lost, right? So, you know, there, <laughs> it you you, get, you have you know, it does it does carry some weight. Oh yeah, this is a large amount of life loss. This isn't just like you know, yeah. This is this is seventy six seventy six. Yeah, you said yeah. That's a lot of people. Yeah. A lot of people yeah. and a lot of kids. Well, think back. Think back on the international. We talked about Jonestown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was huge. Um, so, uh, if you want to subscribe to the show or reach us on any of our social network, you can. The best way to do that is to go to fearcentral.net, and we've got it all listed out right there. Uh, don't forget to rate and review our shows because that also helps boost us up so other people can listen to what you're listening to. Uh, Don't forget to tell your friends. And uh, we will catch you all again next week. And as always, stay scared. Fear Central is a product of ThoughtBox Studios. For more information, visit ThoughtBoxStudios.com.